was actually watching a video a couple of weeks ago. I very rarely keep up with anything going on in the church world. I don't really keep up with what other churches are doing. I don't keep up with what other churches are preaching. I don't, I think I know one other pastor in the entire county. Church is just not really my thing in that regard. Um, all about Jesus, all about what we're doing at Action Church. I just don't really keep up with what they call church trends. But I saw a video on my Facebook timeline the other week, and it was talking about trends in worship music. And I thought, well, that sounds interesting. So I watched it for a few minutes, and basically, if a trend is shooting upward, we are shooting downward in every area. They were talking about make sure your band is full of 20-year-olds and skinny jeans and black room glasses. And they said the day of guitar-led worship is over. And I thought, man, I never knew there was a day of guitar-led worship. And I just thought we were the only church that liked music really loud and lots of drums and lots of guitars. So I guess that we have become the old folks. I've hit that age. I'm over 40 now. And man, our kids look at us and think that. But I don't know that we'll ever get to the point that we'll quit playing Bon Jovi and we'll quit playing Black Sabbath. And it just seems to fit Action Church. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm a broken record and I know it. I get it. But I've been saying this throughout this entire series. We are living in some crazy times. We're at a time where we as Christ followers are probably dropping the ball like never before, to be honest with you. There's probably never been a time in our history, especially in our lifetime, where the church has had a greater opportunity to make an impact on the uncertainty of society like it has in the day and time that we live in. It's crazy times. We can argue all day, is it a man-made virus, not a man-made virus? Is it, is it a political pandemic? Is it a, is it a true pandemic? Is it a money-generating thing? Is it not a money-generating thing? Is it something because it's an election year? All of that is irrelevant. The reality is we live in a time of chaos in our country and where the church ought to be stepping up and offering hope The church is too busy arguing amongst itself on whether we should wear a mask or not wear a mask. The church is too busy arguing amongst itself on whether we're being responsible by having live services or being irresponsible by having live services. The church is arguing amongst itself on whether or not we should go down and protest this but not gather as a a tribe. It's just crazy to me what the church among itself is arguing about, instead of doing what we should be doing, and that's simply offering hope to a world that is full of fear. A world that is full of uncertainty. A world that is looking for something because that a lot of people don't know when their next paycheck is coming. A lot of people are scared to go out of their house because of a virus. A lot of people have loved ones who have, who have gotten the virus. A lot of people are afraid to go out because of the racial tensions in our society. We could list all the reasons all day long, but the reality is the church has the answer and his name is Jesus, but we're choosing to argue instead of all for hope. I'm almost sick of talking about this subject. I never intended 
for the Summer of Rock to become this type of series, but sometimes you have to go in the way that God leads, and that's what it's become. And I'm going to talk about what's going on in our society and how the church should respond one more Sunday. And we're going to start a new series next week called The Basics, and we're going to get back to the basics on some things. We're going to get back to some things that that we as Christ followers know we should be doing, getting in the Word of God, praying, sharing our faith. But sometimes we've heard the message of those things so much that it's dulled us and we forget about those things. And so we're just going to kind of have a regroup, if you will, starting next week. But today I want to talk to you one last time about how we should respond as Christ followers. And, and, And there's a key in how we should respond. And it's not one thing that we ought to be doing. It's two things that we ought to be doing. And you can't do one without the other. And if you do one without the other, the ramifications are very serious. And as you look in the world of the church, what you're going to see is, is the church in general or the local church in general is really good normally at one or the other of these two things. But we've got to be good at both of these things. The Bible says this in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So the word of God became flesh. His name was Jesus. And he dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? And let's try that again. I know we're a white church and white people don't know how to talk back to the preacher, but let's try it one time. Jesus came in the flesh From the Father, he walked among us. He went through everything that we went through. He confronted sin. He loved the unlovable. But he did it with two things. What was it? Grace and truth. I want to talk to you today on the subject of grace and truth. If we're going to impact the society that we live in, we should live with grace and truth. We should live with truth and grace. We should live with grace and truth. And let me make this very clear to you. You cannot impact a society by only having one of those things. It takes both. For decades and decades and decades, we were a country that embraced Jesus. Whether you went to church or didn't go to church, most people, the large majority of people in our country would have told you they were Christians. But we live in a day and time, to be honest with you, that that is no longer true. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm not a end of the world guy. I'm not a negativity guy. Matter of fact, if you've ever hung out with me, I'm actually just the opposite. I'm a a pretty positive guy. But the reality is, is we now live in what researchers call a post-Christian society. Barner Research Group says, probably one of the most respected research groups in all the world, says 48% of Americans now identify as post-Christian. 48%. 48% of our society says, I am a post-Christian. You say, what's a post-Christian, Gary? Well, a Christ follower Christian would be someone who says, man, I have heard the teachings of Jesus. I believe those teachings, 
And I'm choosing to live out those teachings. A pre-Christian would be someone who says, man, I've never really heard the teachings of Jesus. I'm not familiar with the teachings of Jesus. I can't tell you if I'm living out the teachings of Jesus because I've never really heard the teachings of Jesus. Post-Christian would mean I've heard the teachings of Jesus. I've heard the message of a church. And I've chosen for my life that that is irrelevant. That that doesn't apply to me. That that is not something I need in my life. 48% of Americans will tell you we live in a post-Christian world. That really shouldn't be shocking news. You can see it on the television. You see it when you go to the store. You see it on Facebook. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Instagram. You see it when you're talking to your coworkers. But it, I think especially for those of us in the South, when you hear it, when you see the numbers, it's kind of a shocking thing to us. We were bored, if you will, to believe we were Christians. We were raised with a granny who taught us about God. We were raised, maybe not now, but when we were little, you sat down and you said prayer before you ate. And I'm not saying we were actually Christ followers, but we would have identified ourselves in the South as Christ followers. But now 48% identify themselves as post-Christian. You can see it in the society we live in that is full of fear. Because we know Jesus no grounding in the hope of the word of God, then how you, you put everything in your own power. When you operate in your own power, obviously, when everything around you is falling apart and you can't control it, then you operate in the spirit of fear. They say the number one post-Christian city in America would be Albany, New York. Albany, New York. I've actually preached in Albany, New York about 18 years ago. I preached at a church up there. And it was an interesting thing. It was a church full of people. Normally in the South, we always like to say here at Action Church, we do church for those that don't do church. And we do. But what that means is we do church for those that used to go to church. They grew up in church. They maybe had a taste of church because they're in the South. They found it lacking and now they're back into church. In Albany, New York, when you say we're doing church for those that don't do church, you're doing church for people that have never darkened the doors of a church. They've never walked through a church. Church was not a part of their everyday life. When we get up and I say, you know, the Bible says in John 3, 16, even if you're not a church person, like, oh, yeah, I know that verse. When I get up and I say, man, we all know the story of Jonah. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, we know the story of Jonah, man. He got the fish. The fish ate and the fish puked him up on the sidewalk. Yeah, man, we know that story. If I get up and say, man, we all know the story of David. Even if you haven't been in church in years, most people in the South know the story of David and the giant. When you preach in Albany, New York, you've got to get up and say, now, listen, there was a guy named David. David was a young guy. David was part of Israel. Now, there was another army named the Philistines. and this giant. You have to explain the stories that we take for granted, even if we're not church people. You have to explain them to them because they've never heard them. They are a pre-Christian society. 
The Catholic Church came along in the 60s and the 70s and 80s. The people heard the message, wanted nothing to do with the message there, and now they're a post-Christian society. Here in the South, we kind of think that's odd. For years and years and years, us in the South, it's moving away from that. But for years in the South, especially if you're my age, your younger years, Life kind of revolved around the church. I didn't grow up in a family that was active in church until about my high school years. But even growing up in a family who didn't do church, every Easter, guess where we were? Church. Every Christmas Eve, guess where we were? Church. Now, we weren't going to go to church the rest of the year. We were seeing ease. Man, Christmas and Easter, folks. We had the illusion of religion. We weren't going to pray over our dinner any time, but guess what we were going to do on Thanksgiving? We were going to pray, because that's what you do in the South. We was going to say, bless them. And boy, even though we never did it, we had that sense of religion. Hey, man, going through hard times, man, I'm, I'm praying for you. Knowing I ain't prayed in five years, but that's what you do in the South. Oh, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless them, Lord. Whoop, whoop. We had a sense of Christianity, but now 48% of people, even in the South, will tell you they identify as post-Christian. Matter of fact, we live in a day and time where if you identify as a Christian... It's actually viewed by the large majority of people as something negative. If you identify as a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, it's a loaded term in the day that we live in. To take it a little bit further, we are known by the term that people use, evangelic. That's what we are. That simply means someone who shares the good news. But that term in the day and time that we live in and our post-Christian society where 48% of America identifies as post-Christian, be evangelic, is looked down upon. To be white evangelic is often associated in our mainstream media with hate and bigotry. <laughs> and that's the perception of the world. We live in a post-Christian world that has made a mockery out of having faith. Think about your favorite TV show. Anytime there's somebody on a TV show that is identified as a Christ follower, what are they on your TV show? They're the nerdy people on the TV show. They're the dorks on the TV show. They're, they're the Ned Flanders, if you will. We've made a mockery of what it's become to be a Christ follower. Society has turned, so when you're one who follows the Bible, you're hated for that. You're mocked for that. We've been made something that we really aren't, and it's become a negative in our society. But we need to understand something. We don't run... Because society looks at it as a negative thing. 
That's the opportunity for the church to stand up and break that stereotype. The problem is the church feeds into that stereotype. It's always on either side, the 2% on either side that get all the attention. So unfortunately for us, in the Christian world, they find the craziest Christians they can and they put them on the news. And then everyone stereotypes us as that. They do the same thing with the other side. They find the craziest people they can and we're guilty of it. We identify that side by those 2%. But we have an opportunity as a church because here's the reality. The darker it gets... the brighter the light shines. If I was to open a flashlight right now, you'd see that flashlight. But you really wouldn't see the power of that flashlight because there's stage lights on, there's lights behind me, there's emergency lights on, there's windows all across the front of the building that are bringing in light. But if we were to cut off every light in the building and we were to blacken the front of the building, so it was so pitch black in here you couldn't see your hand, and I was to turn on my flashlight, guess what you'd see really well? That flashlight. The darker our society gets, the brighter the opportunity for those of us who call ourselves Christ followers and are willing to live by the book, not tradition, not denominationalism, not religiosity, but live by the book, the opportunity for us to show the love of Christ is greater than ever, but we're dropping the ball. We don't run away from culture, and I feel like that's what the church has done. We shape culture. For years, the church shaped the culture. Now the church runs from the culture. The Bible says that we are the light of the world. The Bible says, can a light on a hill be hidden? The answer to that question is no. The only way the light can be hidden is when we quit shining. But we're shining for all the wrong reasons in the day and time that we live in. The war pigs are running rampant. And the church is cowering. I don't want to say that. I want to say it, but I'm not going to say it. I just stand amazed, almost brokenhearted, and watching the local church operate through this pandemic. Looking for every reason and any reason not to gather. And I love how they spin it. The church hasn't shut down. We're just not gathering. The problem is in Hebrews 10, the Bible says we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. There's power in assembling. The reason the church is the church is because of the connection in the community. And I'm so thankful people get to watch online. And I'm so thankful that people that are uncomfortable to come out are older people or people with autoimmune deficiencies get to watch online. And that's amazing. And technology is amazing. But the cart can never come before the horse. There's power in gathering. The Bible says where two or more gather to his name, he is in the midst of them. And I can't help but think that the enemy loves that the church is cowering behind technology instead of gathering like the army that we are. 
Someone said, are you just gathering to make sure the bills get paid? Let me make this very clear to you. We didn't meet for five weeks when it was mandated by the state. We're always, until we feel like it crosses our biblical convictions, we're going to honor the state. The state asked us not to meet. We didn't meet temporarily. Luckily for us, the state gave us permission to meet again because we were about to start meeting anyway. Let me make this very clear. On the five weeks that we didn't gather physically were probably some of the five best weeks financially we ever had as a church. God provides for our church. The gathering doesn't have anything to do with that. So if you think that's the reason we're gathering, then you miss the point of the gathering. The gathering is the hug when someone walks in. The high five when someone walks in. Hey, man, how'd that job interview? There's just power in connection. We were made for connection. I hate the phrase socially distance. We don't socially distance. We physically distance, and I understand that. But when the world or the church gets to the point that it's socially distancing, there's some kind of problem. We were made to do life together. The Bible says, I have done off a rabbit trail. Tanya or whoever is running that computer right now has no idea where I'm headed. (laughs) Bible says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. For when one falls down, one picks them up. When one's sick, one takes care of the other. There's power in the gathering. There's power in the church. And the church ought to be spreading grace and truth. Again, look what the Bible says in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. <laughs> How do we live faithfully in a post-Christian culture? We live with grace and truth. That's a hard thing. One of the biggest challenges that we have is those that follow Jesus and in the church today is loving people with grace and truth. We tend to swing the pendulum one way or the other. We love them full of grace and leave out truth. Or we love them full of truth and we leave out grace. And one without the other is lacking in changing a society. (laughs) When you operate with just truth, you beat somebody over the head and they don't see the grace. Some of you are dreading the next family get-together because you have someone in your family who always speaks in truth. You always have to justify it for them. I mean, they're speaking the truth, but they turn everybody off of the table because there is no grace. Then you have that person at the dinner table that is so full of grace that everything and anything's great and we never get to the point of giving the 10% that needs to be giving the truth. You've got to have both. Both are what changes people. Both are what is needed in our society. As we're responding in this post-Christian culture in a day and time, Unlike any other time, I want to encourage you today to check yourself as you respond to everybody and ask yourself, am I responding with grace and am I responding with truth? (laughs) 
We kind of live in a culture today where it seems like the grace side is just winning out a little bit more. Hey, it doesn't matter what you believe, man, as long as you're happy. It doesn't matter what you do. Jesus loves you. Let me make this very clear. Jesus loves you no matter what you do. But there's some truth that needs to be implemented in life. It's not one or the other. It's a balancing act of making sure we're given even amounts of grace and even amounts of truth. Because here's the deal. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. For years, this is what the church excelled at. Don't do this, 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 don't do this. And what happened? People like you and people like me are like, I know. And we rebelled. For years, that was our society. Truth without grace leads to rules and rebellion. Truth without grace leads to a bunch of rules, which in the church world is called legalism. If you do this and you do this and you do this, then God loves you. And God is happy with you. Back in the day, when I first gave my... God, I've hit that age in my life. Two decades ago, when I gave my life to Christ, two decades ago, the church was full of a lot of truth. But zero grace. And so their truth, that we ought to be separate and different than the world around us, Lacked grace, so their idea of being separated from the world turned into rules. Women couldn't wear pants. You can't go to the movies. Can't listen to certain kind of music. You can't have a beer because one beer, I remember, I'll never forget a preacher saying, if it takes you 10 beers to get drunk and you drink one beer, you're 10% drunk. Oh. As he weighed 450 pounds and never preached on gluttony. I'll never forget, I think I've shared this story with you before. I got, gave my life to Christ in what is known as an independent, fundamental Baptist church. Does anybody know what an independent, fundamental Baptist church is? You should thank God if you don't. So the independent, fundamental Baptist church, and I am not dogging the independent, fundamental Baptist. I'm just telling you my experience with the independent, fundamental Baptist. They were independent, meaning they weren't part of a denomination. That was their claim. We're independent. Nobody tells us what to do. Women couldn't wear pants. I don't know where they got this, but you couldn't sing any songs that weren't 25 years old. Like 25 years was the test of time. You know, if it's 24 years old, you couldn't sing it. You could only preach from the King James Bible. Oh, I'm trying to think of something. Men couldn't wear shorts. Um, man, no movies. Couldn't eat anywhere that served alcohol. Um, so basically, you could eat fast food. Or back in that day, you young people aren't going to remember, there was a place called Shoney's. You could eat at Shoney's. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Especially for breakfast bar, you know. But it was horrible, man. But I'll never forget the preacher would get up every week and just scream and holler about everything you couldn't do. And his favorite line, you heard me say, he was a little five-foot-nothing Cherokee Indian preacher. 
And he'd get up and say, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do and If you do it, you're going to fry like bacon. That's what I was just failing. That was his line, man. You're going to fry like bacon. Every time I cook bacon, as you can tell, I cook a lot of bacon. I think about that preacher. So much truth. You ought to be different than society. Let me make this very clear to you. We ought to be different than society. People ought to see us and know there's something different about us. Not that we're perfect. Not that we have a perfect marriage. Not that we handle our finances perfect. Not that we handle our temper perfect. But they ought to look at us and know, man, when they're going through those times, there's just something different about them. But truth without grace turns into rules. And we rebel against rules. When they were against everything. I heard one of my Baptist friends say one time, he said, you know why Baptists are so against premarital sex? The reason is it might lead to dancing. Okay, about four of you got that. (laughs) Rules. When you have truth and you don't have grace, it leads to rules and rebellion. You've got that family member. And what they say, at the end of the day, you agree with them. When you step back and you breathe and you you break down their abruptness and their rudeness and their aggressiveness and their a-holism, you're like, you know, I agree with what they're saying. But the way they went about it was so abrasive that everybody at the table is offended. And even though they're speaking truth, they want nothing to do with that truth. Because there was no grace in the communicating of the truth. The church was the king of that for years. For years. And the church in a lot of ways is still that way. So much truth, but no grace. (laughs) Well, I understand what you're trying to say, but the way you went about it, I don't want anything to do with it. And we rebel against it. I rebelled against it. I wanted nothing to do with the church because of the way they went about stuff. We're kind of born that way, aren't we? We're born rebellious. How many of you have ever had kids? So if you've had a kid, that means you've had a two-year-old. There's nothing in life more rebellious than a two-year-old. Don't touch that. Hey, 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 don't do that. They do it. They look at you right in the face. I mean, they'll just lie to you. They'll be looking at you. Hey, 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 are you going to the party? Nope. As they're grunting, crapping all over themselves. Just rebellious. No one had to teach them how to be rebellious. They're just rebellious. There's a rebellious nature in us. And the problem is we need to learn. And I see this on social media all the time with so many of you. You're spouting truth. I agree with what you're saying. But you're getting nowhere because there is no grace. You're giving them the medicine, but you're not giving them the honey. So what are you talking about, Gary? How you get your kids to take the medicine? I don't know how you do it. In our house, when they were little, we had a spoonful of honey and a spoonful of medicine. 
Take a little bit of honey in your mouth. Now take the medicine. Now take the rest of the honey. We'll mask that medicine. You're speaking truth. But your truth is irrelevant because there's no grace in it. The fastest way to raise a rebellious kid, hammer them with truth all the time, but never grace. They'll grow up to hate you. They'll grow up to despise you. I always get a kick out of people who who are like, ah, it's the way my parents raised me. And you hate your parents. So why would you want to raise your kids the same way? You're saying we shouldn't speak truth? No, I'm saying we should speak truth. But Jesus understood he came with grace and he came with truth. If there was ever a great time for the church in the midst of the chaos and the craziness that is going on to make an impact, we're going to have to learn to speak with grace and truth. We, for the most part, are a right-leaning crowd. Not everybody here, and that's okay. The the right-leaning crowd tends to lead with truth and no grace. But there's also a negative when you lead with just grace and no truth. Grace without truth leads to do whatever and believe whatever. Grace without truth leads to do whatever you want to do, believe whatever you want to believe, and it's okay. Hey, peace. It's good. You got to do both. Do whatever. It's a license, if you will. And so we err on the side of grace, and it becomes this license. Believe whatever. It's it's relativism. We have grace and no truth. Peace. Say, you know what? I can do whatever I want to do. I can believe whatever I want to believe, and I'm glad that Jesus works for you, but man, I'm over here. The problem with that is is that things that are different are not the same. Talking to a friend, I'm probably not going to be super popular right here. Talking to a friend of mine who was a Muslim the other day. And he said, man, we, we believe in the same God. I said, no, we don't. Yeah, man, the higher power. I said, no. What do you mean? And I broke down his beliefs and I broke down our beliefs. I wasn't rude. I wasn't a jerk. And I said, we believe different. Well, yeah. I said, things that are different are not the same. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not even saying I'm right and you're wrong. We might die and you might be right. I don't believe that's the case, but here's the deal. We're both not right. Why not? Because they're different. We can say all day long, men and women are the same. No, they're not. I didn't say one was better than the other, but they're not. We have parts, and you have parts, and we're different. We can pee anywhere, anytime. You really probably can, but you probably shouldn't. I'm not trying to say life's fair. (laughs) See, we equate different as one has to be better. It's not. They're just different. 
things that are different are not the same. But grace says, man, we're all right. Everything's great. Everything's good. Grace without truth leads to whatever and believe whatever. The problem is this is a book of truth. And we're to preach the truth that is found in this book. This book is not like the Golden Corral where you get to go down the buffet line and pick and choose what you want. It's not a book of suggestions. It's a book that talks about how we as Christ followers should live our life and live them differently. But the church has leaned so much because what we do is we're reactionary. And here's what's going to happen in 20 years. Mark my words. 20 years ago, truth ran rampant in the church with no grace. So the next generation rebels against that, and what do we do? All grace, everything is wonderful, no truth. The generation growing up is going to revert right back to the old way because they're going to rebel against that way because they saw the ineffectiveness of it. It's going to go back to all truth and no grace. But it's not one side of the pendulum. It's in the middle. There has to be grace and there has to be truth. If you're not willing to speak truth into someone's life, then don't say you love that individual. But if you're not willing to show that individual grace, Before you implement the truth, you don't love that person. You just want to be right. The old saying, you got to catch a fish before you clean it. There's a reason they come in the order that they come. In order to earn, do not miss this. I'm so far off my notes, I don't even know where to go. In order to earn the right to speak truth. And let me make this very clear to you today. You can speak truth to anybody you want to speak it to. But if you want them to respond to the truth, you earn that right. And you earn that right by grace. It's always funny to me when people see me handle a situation with certain individuals. And they'll come to me and be like, man, you were hard on that person. Man, do you think that's the best way to deal with them? And I always will look at that person and say, I understand. You saw one instance. You haven't seen five years of grace with that person. You haven't seen me literally go in a crack house and pull that person out of that house. You haven't seen me when that person was losing everything in their life be there in the gutter with them. I showed them the grace. That's why they don't rebel when I speak the truth. The problem is you just want to jump right in and speak the truth and you haven't earned the right to do that. You earn the right to speak truth by showing grace, by loving the unlovable, by being there for them in their darkest hour, by not keeping your condemnation on them and judging them and looking down on everything they do, but walking alongside them. And as you build the trust through grace, It enables you to speak truth. But the problem on the other side is so many of us just want to show grace and grace and grace and grace that we never come back and come back with the truth. And you've done them an injustice. I heard a TED talk one time and an individual, he said, I'm going to butcher what he said here. And I've tried to show this, not teach Christine, but try to explain this lesson to her before. And I've tried to find the talk and I cannot find it anywhere. 
I can't remember who it was or how he titled it, but he said, the large majority of us say 90% of what needs to be said to someone. The problem is the last 10% that we're afraid to say because it might ruin our friendship or might ruin our marriage or might ruin our relationship, that's the 10% they need to hear. We don't want to speak truth. The church is on opposite extremes. Truth, 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 no grace. People rebel against it. Now the church today is grace, 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 but no truth. And it leads to a society that does whatever, believes whatever, and thinks they can be whatever they want to be. If we want to be biblical, we got to get in the middle. What you'll learn when it comes to humans and the church is we're people of extremes. Look at the political parties today. They're extremes. The large majority of Americans do not believe everything the right says, even those that are on the right. The large majority of people on the left are embarrassed by everything the left says. That's why if there was ever an adequate third party in our country, it might actually stand a chance because they're really somewhere in the middle. But the right's so scared to be identified with the left, we go to the extreme. And the left's so scared to be identified with the right that we go to the extreme. The large majority of us are pretty balanced in the middle. When you want to get to what the truth ought to be in an issue, normally take the two extremes and come somewhere in the middle. The church is on opposite ends of the spectrum. You've got the truth group that's given us all bad names, hate-filled, has come across as a-holes, has come across as turning people away. Then you've got the grace side. Just do whatever you want to do. The problem is this book gives some very clear details on how we go about doing some things. But we're scared to speak the truth because we might offend people. That grace that you've shown gives you the availability to share truth. One without the other is useless. (laughs) Literally, I don't even know where I'm at in this. Grace and truth. It's a balancing act. I was watching you guys this week. There's an old video, and he was taking a tightrope across the Grand Canyon. I heard someone say, Man, it's just too hard to balance. I'll tell you, I don't care how hard it is. If I'm on a tightrope between the Grand Canyon, I'm balancing. I'm probably dying because I'm scared of heights, but if you want to walk the walk, It's a balancing act. An unbelieving world that's 48% post-Christian deserves us to be willing to walk the balancing act. We might be the only Jesus they ever see. You've heard me say this a thousand times. There's two reasons people aren't Christ followers. Number one, they've never met a Christ follower. Number two, They've met a Christ follower, and they want nothing to do with it. We owe it to our communities. We have the responsibility. Jesus left us here to carry out his mission on earth. What was his mission? To seek and to save that which was lost. How did he go about doing that? Grace and truth. And I find it interesting that they were in those orders. You don't get to do truth first. Sometimes you got to have the grace. Most of the time, 
dare I say, all the time. You got to have the grace first. Grace comes free because we choose to give it. Truth is earned. Again, you can give the truth all day long. But if you truly want people to listen to the truth, you earn the right to do that. Grace followed by truth is how we ought to operate in these uncertain times. I get it, man. Let me make this very clear. You won't find a stronger person of conviction than me. You can ask my wife. Where I stand on issues is where I stand on issues. I'm dogmatic about my issues. That being said, if I want to convince somebody or show them biblically that there's a reason I have my convictions and I have my standards, I don't just draw my light in the sand immediately. I try to meet them where they are. I try to put myself in their shoes. I try to look at things through their point of view. I walk alongside of them in grace. There's a lot of messages I preach to you that I'm not the best at living out. But I preach to you because they're biblical. I can stand up here today and say if there was ever a message that I live out in my life, it's the message of grace followed by truth. I have spent five and six years pouring grace into people, just waiting for the opportunity for God to get their hearts in a position where I can speak truth. Some of you aren't willing to do that. We live in a microwave society and you just gotta be right. And in your need to be right, you're turning people away from the cause of Christ. And guess what the Bible says? There will come a day when we stand before God and their blood will be on our hands. I used to preach a message talking about, I used to, <laughs> it was horrible. I, used to, I don't know why I preached this message. I preached this message all over the country, actually. And I used to go to the grocery store. Back, this is back when grocery stores had meat departments. Remember when you had real live meat departments and they cut the meat up right there? And I'd always get a big thing of blood. And I'd preach the message and I'd dip my hands in the blood and talk about the people in their life so they wouldn't share the faith. And the blood would go everywhere and the preachers got really mad because I would stay in their stage and it was a mess and the clothes would get ruined so I quit preaching the message. I need to preach that message here. I don't think I've ever preached it here. The Bible says their blood will be on our hands. Those that we turn away from Christ. Pilate, when he turned Christ over, he said, he said, my hands are clean. He put it on the people to make the choice to crucify Jesus. Some of you want to be right so bad that you're willing to turn someone away from the cause of Christ. And we'll answer for that one day. We've had to show grace. There's got to be grace in our words. Grace in our words. The words that we speak. Can I tell you an amazing concept? Think before you speak. It's groundbreaking. It's groundbreaking. 2020, think before you type. You know how many times I type stuff out and delete it? What ought to scare you is some of you are offended by the stuff I post. What you don't realize is that was the 10th version of that post. 
You should have seen it 10 edits ago. Grace in our words. Grace in our deeds. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. Does our life show grace? Walking into Ingalls the other day. And there's a pastor that I know raising hell with a 16-year-old kid because a 16-year-old kid told me he had to have a mask on. I'm just here to get a... <laughs> I laugh, think. I, I want to get a shirt that says this. I'm just here to get a cantaloupe. You're going to be in the store for three minutes. And yet you want to ruin your testimony and your ability to speak truth by arguing with a kid making $7 an hour who's just doing his job? I believe with everything that is in me, you discuss God with that ideology. Let me make this clear. Make this clear for everybody out there. I don't think a mask does anything. I don't. I don't voluntarily wear a mask. But you think I'm going to hurt the cause of Christ when all I want to get is a cantaloupe? I'm going to pull my mask up. I'm going to buy my cantaloupe. Or, novel concept, I'm not going to go to that store if I feel that strongly about it. For those of you watching at home, I run a Maker's Mart every Tuesday, 6 to 8, 30, and there's cantaloupe there, and you don't have to wear a mask. (laughs) God, why pitch a fit? Grace indeed. The church ought to be operating in grace, and we're fighting over stupidity. And I'm not saying your view is stupid. I'm saying the way you're going about communicating your view is stupid. That's the hill you want to die on? Guess what else they make you wear at Ingalls? Pants. We got some people in this church. I ain't going to single them out, but hey, listen. Do you know we got a bunch of people in this church who like, not a bunch, let me rephrase that, a couple of people that are kind of into the nudist life? Good for them. More power to them. Guess what they do when they go to Ingalls? They wear pants. Guess what they do when they come to Action Church, by God? They wear pants. Thank you, Jesus. I respect their right to be nude wherever they want to go. I love that about them. But I don't want to see it. They wear pants. Let's break it down to not such an extreme. Guess what else you wear? You wear shoes. No shoes, no shirt, no service. But you want to make a huge deal over something. I've got asthma that affects me. It don't affect you. You're just going to get a cantaloupe. If it affects you that bad, order ahead of time. But quit hurting the cause of Christ. I made sure that pastor saw me. Because I'm just that kind of guy. Brother Soaps, he's a brother. You know, that's what he goes by, brother so-and-so. Brother so-and-so, what are you doing today? Pull my mask. I said, man, good to see you. God bless you. I just kept on walking. Now, here's what he's doing today. He's preaching against me today. It's compromising. 
I saw a pastor in town today who has got it compromised. We're going to have grace in our word, grace in our deed. We're going to have grace in our judgment. Guess what? It's not your job to judge. It's God's. I don't like their lifestyle. Don't live it. We have people all the time like, have you heard about someone so that goes to our church? No, what about them? They do X, Y, and Z. Oh, okay. What do you think about that? That's between them and God. That's what I think about that. I can't control my own life. Much less somebody else's life. We're going to show grace in our words, grace in our deeds, grace in our judgment. (laughs) We're going to show grace when our flesh doesn't want to give grace. I don't know who it was on my timeline. Yesterday I saw someone got a tattoo. And the tattoo was words and it said, Judas 8-2. Judas 8-2. You say, what's that mean? Here's what it means. I love this story. I want to preach a sermon on this too, actually. It means at the Last Supper, Jesus knew that Judas was going to be the one who betrayed him. He knew that Judas was going to be the one who turned him over to be crucified. But when Jesus served all the disciples dinner, he still served Judas dinner. He still washed Judas's feet. Judas ate too. We're going to show grace when our flesh doesn't want to give grace. And here's what's going to happen, church. As you show this grace, God is going to give you opportunities. You've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God in this. God is going to give you opportunities to speak truth. And when that opportunity comes, you have the responsibility to speak it. It's our job to communicate truth. We've just butchered how we go about doing it. Grace, then truth. Grace allows people to be open to truth. So saying people don't care what you know till they know that you care. My wife shared with me this from a Bible study. Oh, her Bible study she has on Thursday nights. I think someone, I think you shared it actually. She came home and sent me this text. It said, truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is enabling. I want to repeat that. Truth, I'm going to change out the word love. Truth without grace is brutality. It's brutal to people because they're not open to hear the truth. Grace without truth, you're simply enabling someone. We see it with addicts all the time. We see it with parents all the time when their kids are addicts. They love them. Don't miss this because this ain't a play on words. This is the truth. They love them to death. They love and they love and they love 
but they'll never sit the kid down and give them the truth because God forbid they're afraid they'll lose the relationship with their kid and they lose their kid anyway. Truth without grace is brutality. Grace without truth is enabling. As we move forward, we have a responsibility, church. This is the last time I'm talking about the chaos in our society. I'm done with it. Over it. I'm gonna get back to doing what we do as a church. But we need some lessons during this time. I need some lessons during this time. Let me educate you. It's only gonna get worse and worse. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but it's only gonna get worse and worse. Our country's only gonna get more divided all the way up to November. We just need to figure out today how to respond. We don't need to figure out how to respond. The Bible tells us how to respond. Grace and truth. We just need to start doing what the Bible says to do. Got to quit erring on both sides. We need to err with the middle. Grace and truth. Let's pray.